Welcome to The Root of the Matter, brought to you by UPL. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you fresh ideas and insights about agriculture in North America. I'm your host, Ken Root. Today we're going to talk about wheat. We all eat the fruits of that wheat. But uh, where does it come from, and what are the issues facing wheat farmers, not only in the U.S., but all across uh, North America? And today, from the Canadian perspective, Gunter Yoakum is with me. He's president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. Gunter, nice to have you here on The Root of the Matter. Thank you, Ken. Uh, it's, it's great to be here and talking to you about grain production in Canada and, you know, I just let me clarify, we are the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association, but that doesn't mean that we're limited to only growing wheat. Uh, wheat is just one component of our grain farm. On, on my farm, we grow wheat, oats, canola, and soybeans. Well, let me get a location of where you are relative to a major city or a uh in which province and where that sits uh, north of the U.S.? We farm north of the Dakotas, straight north of uh, North Dakota, and I farm about 20 minutes west of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Mm. and right along the Assiniboine River, and the Assiniboine River empties into the Red River, which then empties into Lake Winnipeg you could consider us farming in the Red River Valley. We're immigrants from Germany. We came in 1980, and uh, I was 15 years old when we came here. And my father uh, was a farmer in Germany as well. And and so, yeah, the reason we moved to Canada was because of farming. And uh, my dad said there is no future here in Germany where we were farming in Germany. It was, it was more a marginal area. And he said, you know, uh, if you kids really want to farm, then we need to go somewhere else. And, and it was the best decision he ever made. The little, the little village that we came from in Germany, zero farmers left. My daughter, our second daughter has come back to the farm full time. You know, at times farmers get a bad rap by by being told, oh, there's no young generation coming in and, and whatnot. But I think there is uh, there's a lot of young farmers that, that are interested in farming and that are getting into farming. And uh, I think the future is bright, actually. You were in an area that, um, you know, if we spun Ukraine around, I guess you'd be in Ukraine uh, as far as wheat production around the world, there is production at that latitude uh, and good wheat production. How have you uh, seen wheat's capabilities to be uh, a competitive grain in your part of the world? So wheat um, is a very important crop to us. About 10 years ago, we lost the, uh, we finally were able to get rid of the selling uh, monopoly and buying monopoly of the Canadian Wheat Board, which bought all the wheat from the farm that the farmers grew on the prairies. And and then they sold it and paid you accordingly over a number of months. Since the demise of the Wheat Board, which is good, 
that it's gone. We have an open market and wheat has made a bit of a comeback as far as profitability. And so we grow here in Manitoba, we grow mainly hard red spring wheat. We also are growing some U.S. type wheats. In Saskatchewan, which is the province west of Manitoba, they grow a lot of durum wheat and the same in southern Alberta, lots of durum wheat. The, the climate is a little bit drier there, more conducive to growing durum wheat. In Manitoba, though, we, we grow mainly hard red spring wheat. Gunter, is uh, the wheat industry large acreage in big fields primarily, or is it uh, more inclined to be a portion of land? Uh, you know, in the western plains of the U.S., it's just a, a very extensive crop rather than an intensive crop. No, I would say here in Manitoba and, and across the prairies, actually, again, it depends where you are. In Manitoba here, we have a quite a diversified crop rotation. Uh, so what that means is we can choose from wheat, barley, oats, canola, soybeans. There's even corn grown here. Uh, we grow peas. We grow edible beans. So the, the sunflowers, it, it's, it's a huge variety. And wheat is just one part of that uh, rotation that we have access to. The wheat is grown in large fields. Our farm has fields that range in size from the smallest field is around 65 acres, uh, with the largest fields being around just over 500 acres. If you go into Saskatchewan, you can get into field sizes uh, in the thousands of acres, like two maybe even 3,000 acres. Southwest Alberta, which is west of Saskatchewan yet, uh, just in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, there's even larger fields. There, there can be fields that are 5,000 acres or more. And in those drier areas, we have more uh, wheat, canola, wheat rotation. They, they don't have quite as much choice as far as uh, different crops to rotate into. That's um, absolutely wonderful to have those, to be able to pick from those. And from some of our past podcasts, we've talked to people who are doing more processing and value adding. Uh, and in many cases, uh, producers are the owners of the processing facilities. Is that happening in some of your crops there? Uh, it, it is to a small degree. There is actually not too terribly far away from my farm. There is a flour mill, a wheat flour mill that was started by a dozen farmers and that is still going strong today. They keep expanding. And, and so, yes, there is value added uh, when it comes to wheat. Other crops as well. Uh, my brother-in-law grows sunflowers and he has them cleaned and he bags them for birdseed. For sale, so that's that's kind of a direct marketing as well. I would think that you have a uh, higher percentage of export than uh, than most other countries because you have such a vast acreage and you have a fairly small population, and that makes it to where you're dependent upon uh, the laws of the country uh, and the competition of the world. And uh, in wheat, for example, it appears you've only had your voice for the last 10 years. 
And I'm wondering how that uh, you feel your own industry uh, leadership has matured to be able to pick and choose your battles uh, in order to be able to take care of yourselves. That transition actually went relatively smoothly. It, it, it was farmers were looking to be able to market their wheat to whomever they chose rather than having to sell everything through the wheat board. The monopoly, while on paper, sounds like a great idea because you can make it sound like it's uh, you're in control of the price that you're going to get by by selling through a monopoly. But that's not how the real world works because even the wheat board with its monopoly was bound by the world price because we do export uh, 85% of what we grow. And, and so Canada is very export driven. And so the monopoly, while on paper, may have sounded very romantic and, and wow, you know, look at these farmers in charge of uh, their own price and, and all this. That was not reality. Reality was quite different. And now with the market open, we actually have more choices. We can actually participate in the open market, in the world market, by participating at the exchange, uh, Minneapolis Grain Exchange, uh, and so on, or Chicago. We can price our, our wheat there. We can decide who buys our wheat, which company, which grain buyer here in Canada. There, there's many to, to choose from. And they are asking for our, our wheat. They're competing for it. So whereas before, those same buyers, they just went to the wheat board. The wheat board then sold it to them. There wasn't competition because the wheat board said, well, this is the world price and, and you have to buy it at this price. And uh, the grain buyers, the grain elevators were actually just handling facilities and they charged the wheat board a handling charge. Whereas now they actually have to compete. Uh, I myself am located close to five major grain buyers. And at harvest time, there, there can be quite a difference. Or even throughout the year, there can be quite a difference in basis levels. It's very exciting to be able to have that choice. Our guest is Gunter Joachim, who is the uh, president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. He's a diversified farmer in Canada. I wonder, even though you're given this right to produce and right to sell, if you are feeling government uh, intervention that uh, you as the growers think could be uh, challenging. You know, what, what is our biggest threat when, when we look into the future? And, and you're right. It's government policy, actually. What are our problems? You could say weather is a problem, but weather we have very little control over. It's, it's government policy that we are really worried about. It used to be a lot, and it still is, things like transportation or, or trade issues and so on. While those problems are still there and, and they are far from being solved, the biggest threat right now is with the government's idea of uh, climate change policies. Mm -hmm. And and they have implemented in Canada a carbon tax a few years ago. 
And it is currently at $50 a ton for uh, carbon dioxide emission. And that $50 per ton translates back to about $12 to $15 an acre extra cost on my farm. What is it that you do in your farming operation that causes you to emit more carbon than you sequester? That depends on how you account for the carbon emitted and what you allow for carbon that you store. See, the government doesn't recognize all the carbon that we store. Mm-hmm. So, so therein lies the problem, right? We grow a lot of grain, and the grain stores carbon very effectively. It takes the carbon dioxide out of the air, stores it in the grain that we grow. And here's the kicker. So the farmers store all this carbon, but we are not the ones releasing it, right? We export our grain, and it's the consumer elsewhere around the world that releases it. And yet, me as a farmer, I have to pay the carbon tax. And so there's formulas and and there is uh, charts that will show how much carbon is emitted for each operation that you do, for uh, how much is emitted when you use a a gallon of diesel, a gallon of gasoline, uh, propane for, for drying your grain, And so that $50 charge per ton of carbon dioxide emission at the farm level, that translates back to approximately $12 to $15 per acre. But how can you reduce that level and still be able to have tillage uh, and harvesting? Is there anything you can do that the government says is not net loss of carbon? So, Ken, it's that uh, that $50 per ton of CO2 emission, that is not a line item, or, or I don't actually get a bill from the government saying, hey, uh, you owe this much carbon tax. So how that works is they have, it, it works to, at the current charge of the carbon tax, as far as diesel, I think it works out to about, cents per liter of diesel that we use. So our diesel is 2.8 cents more expensive than in the U.S., for example, or if we wouldn't have the carbon tax. So that's how it filters down to the farm level. Our fertilizer, uh, which is manufactured, the fertilizer company gets charged a carbon tax for the natural gas they use to produce that uh, fertilizer. And so they are left with that price and they just add it on to the cost of fertilizer. And again, I'm stuck with paying that. I cannot pass that on to the end consumer because my end consumers live around the world and my market is a world market. And so I have no control over deciding how much I need to charge for my grain because it's not like a store, right? A store gets charged carbon tax. They pay carbon tax on the electricity that they use. They go, oh, wow, it costs us a little more to have the store open. We'll just tag it on top of the items that we sell. I I can feel the frustration. Mm -hmm. Again, you are a citizen of the country 
and uh, the country sees this as a good thing, and they figured out a way to uh, to implement it where that you have really no choice in the matter. I can I can follow that. Uh, a little lighter topic for a second. You are the uh, Western Canadian wheat grower, but I noticed you've got a convention coming up in November. So um, I thought, well, maybe you might hold it, uh, you know, on Hudson's Bay or perhaps one of the Maritimes to the east. But no, you're going to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Absolutely. We go to Nashville. We, uh, <laughs> you know, conventions are uh, some work and uh, we will talk policy there. We will be talking, you know, what's going on here in Canada. How can we make things better and so on? So there's a little bit of work involved, but then at the same time, we figure, you know what? We work a lot throughout the year. We work a lot at the week or level. We need to have a little fun as well. So our members that are coming down to the convention and, and what better place to have a little bit of fun than uh, Nashville, Tennessee. We've, we've just kind of come out of COVID lockdowns, right? Uh, nobody's gone anywhere for three years and and people are excited to be able to get out and and enjoy themselves a little bit and since since the u.s is is our biggest trading partner why not go to the u.s and have our convention there and the uptake has been tremendous as you move forward uh, in these times are you feeling the brunt of inflation uh, increase in labor costs, shortage of labor on your farm? Are those issues happening there like they certainly are happening south of the border? Yes, absolutely. Uh, inflation is, uh, I hate to use the word out of control, but it's definitely impacting us at the farm sector. You know, fertilizer prices have doubled, if not tripled in the last three years. And there's no sign of them coming down uh, with the price of uh, natural gas being at all-time high and uh, fertilizer manufacturers shutting down in Europe. And the, the same with other inputs, and not just inputs, farm equipment. It is just crazy, the price of uh, farm equipment and, and trying to keep your equipment current is becoming very difficult at these prices. And not only that, Ken, there's also a shortage of equipment. The, the manufacturers are having trouble building new equipment. They're having trouble having parts that we need in case we have breakdowns. Uh, it's, it's a real problem out there. I wanted to ask you about transportation as well. Your Canadian railroads make the news down here uh, because... Uh, they tend to want to merge with American railroads. How are they treating you on your cost of transportation? Well, it's, <laughs> I have to be careful here because we, we are very dependent on the railways, but it is almost a monopoly. We have, we have two. We have uh, Canadian National and, uh, and Canadian Pacific Railways. So two different railways, and they run on... on separate uh, tracks but so they have a duopoly and they they can be very monopolistic as far as what they charge for transportation it is a highly efficient way to get our grain to market but 
because there's no real competition, uh, we're always very sensitive if there's price increases and so on. While we work very diligently and very hard with the railways to, to make everything flow smoothly and efficiently, it still is a precarious dance with them because they can pretty much charge what they would like. Uh, on the other hand, they have their own set of problems with uh, just not being able to to get all the grain hauled all the time. Last year, there was uh, big issues. Uh, there was huge rainfalls in BC, in the, in the mountains, landslides, and uh, it backed up our system. We're still recovering from that. Had we had a bumper crop last year, we would be in big trouble right now because it they're still trying to clean up that backlog. They're almost uh, kind of caught up, but that was only because we, we had a really poor crop. This year, we have more of an average crop. We can't really afford another natural disaster to, to stop the railways from doing their job. Most of your crops go west. Most of our crops go west, and uh, a good portion does go east as well. It it just depends where where the markets are, but lots of it goes it goes west to Asia. Well, I wanted to finish up with uh, first of all thanking you, uh, Gunter Jokob, for talking to us today because you are a very analytical and interesting man living in a an area that some could say almost is identical to the U.S., but your issues are different, uh, a bit different at least. As you look to the future, and you can talk as a farmer in general or a wheat grower president specifically, since you are going to have a convention here soon, what do you see on the horizon that is opportunity, and what do you see as your biggest challenges? Yeah, the biggest challenges, as, as I alluded to before, is government policy especially when it comes down to uh, the environment and climate change. Uh, farmers are very sensitive to climate change, but I think farmers do an excellent job adapting to climate change. Government, on the other hand, does a lousy job adapting to climate change. Instead, they bring in policy that is stifling some of the innovation that farmers are actually bringing on board to adapt to climate change. So that that is the biggest threat. Uh, however, I do see opportunity uh, down the road in Canada and in the U.S. I mean, we're, we're on the same continent. Uh, we have a lot of the same customers worldwide. And instead of working against each other, we should be working collaboratively. It is in our best interest. And, and I know uh, one of our railways bought a railway into the U.S. And that is just a win-win. Uh, right now, the Mississippi is very low. We could utilize uh, rail going right to the very southern U.S. and vice versa. Uh, that being said, I, I think farmers are always eternally optimistic. It's in our blood to be optimistic, to look forward to the future. And there's, there is lots of optimism. Even on the climate change front, uh, again, farmers are net carbon sinks, not carbon emitters. We're net carbon sinks. We grow a lot of crops that lock up a lot of carbon. 
And we just need to be recognized for it, not penalized. I see a lot of good coming out in the future, but government needs to be on side to make it work. Very well put. I appreciate all of what you're doing, uh, not just on the farm to feed us, but also to be able to speak up as a representative of growers there in Canada. You parallel so closely with so many things in the U.S., uh, and I wish you very well as you uh, move into the winter and uh, plan for your next spring. I hope that you have a finish up a good crop this year and have a good one next year. Thank you, Ken. I immensely enjoyed myself here today. Thanks for listening to The Root of the Matter, sponsored by UPL. New episodes will be available every other Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Have a great day.